1: Well, good morning, North Canton Chapel. In case you don't know, my name is Sam Toman, um, and I'm the children's ministry coordinator here, and it really is an honor and a privilege to bring you God's word this morning. Um, I've had the honor and the privilege of growing up here at the North Canton Chapel. And so I've been here most of my life, and um, I've been taught to really treasure and value God's word. And I've been taught here to um, treasure the Christ who is revealed Through scriptures. And so I want to share um, with you this morning, um, we're going to talk through some things about scripture and its importance. And I really just want us to dive in together. But first, I want to tell you um, about a little story when I received my first Bible. Um, And so I remember I was a little kid, and I got this little blue hardback Bible. It was actually a Precious Moments Bible, so it had a Precious Moments doll on it. Um was a little boy. I thought it was a little questionable, but that's okay. I still liked it, um, and I was just happy to have my own copy of God's Word that I could dig into myself and that I could explore and find out uh, what God's saying, and so Um, When I was in second or third grade, I think this happened, and I decided I wanted to start reading the Bible and see, you know, what is God saying in the Bible? Um, And so I opened to the first page, as you might, and I start reading Genesis, and I soon kind of realized that this was gonna take a little bit longer than I thought, and it was going to be a little bit harder than I thought. Um, But I had also had this um, bad habit as a kid, a lot of us might even still do this, of turning to the last page to kind of see what's going on. And so I thought, well, I did that with Magic Treehouse books, I figured it out, you know. uh, So I'm gonna turn to the end and kind of see what happens. And so I flipped to the back, to the book of Revelation, Um, I had some prior knowledge of the Bible. I'd been growing up in church. I knew about uh, the plagues in Egypt, and um, I knew about the prophets. I knew that there was an Old and a New Testament generally. Um, And so I'm reading the last page of my Bible, and I take out a pen, and I start kind of scribbling on the pages and circling words and writing words in the margin because I had seen, you know, smart adults do that when they're reading the Bible. So I figured that was a good thing to copy. Uh, But then... I stumbled upon this verse, Revelation twenty-two eighteen. 18. It's on the very last of my Bible and it said, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. <laughs> and so the tears literally started welling up in my eyes. I, I thought, oh no. Are plagues going to come? And then I realized, I've seen my mom write in the Bible before, too. And so I ran to her, and I told her, Mom, Mom, the plagues are coming. We're going to be in trouble. And, you know, she calmed me down, helped me realize that that wasn't a correct application of that verse. Um, And as silly and as funny as that may seem, I think a lot of us share that sort of fear at times. See, I thought the key to pleasing God Uh, was to do what the Bible said. And from those verses, I thought that since I wrote on the pages of the Bible, uh, just like my mom, that we were going to receive these plagues. And so I was scared that bad things were going to happen. Um, But there was a deeper fear, too. A fear that I think many of us in this room might share. What if I do the wrong thing? What if I don't do what God wants me to do? Or what if I displease God? It's a scary thought, because we want to do what God's Word says, but it's hard, isn't it? And so today, I want to address the following question. How do I apply God's Word in my life? How do I apply God's Word in my life? And I believe that to rightly apply Scripture in our lives, we must love Scripture with our hearts. To rightly apply Scripture in our lives, we must love Scripture with our hearts. And so first, we're going to turn to Psalm 119. We're going to start in verse 9, and then we're going to talk about a few misconceptions surrounding applying scripture in our lives, and then we're going to end with a few practical tips to get you started on applying scripture. But before we get to those, open your Bibles with me to Psalm 119. We'll be beginning in verse 9. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Um, I ask that you'd bless us this morning, that you'd bless us as we um, dig into this text and as we try to try to uh, uncover your truth this morning, Lord. Would you speak through me um, and would you just bless our time together this morning? In your name we pray, amen. And so Psalm 119 is an acrostic, which is a form of poetry in which every section of the passage begins each line with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so your Bible likely sections these off for you with each new letter of the Hebrew alphabet as you're reading the text. And some have called Psalm 119 the saint's alphabet. And every single line in this psalm is talking about the psalmist's craving and desire for God's holy word. And so this morning... We're looking at this section of Psalm 119 because I believe that the psalmist creates a beautiful picture of the posture of our heart that allows us to properly apply scripture. The psalmist opens this section with a thought-provoking question. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And I think that this is essentially the same question that we're asking today, just framed a little differently. You likely already know that God wants us to be pure, that God wants us to be holy. And just like the psalmist, we're looking to answer this question. Okay, but how? And so children look to their parents often to answer these questions and we might look to our pastors or to other wise adults to kind of give us insight into this. Uh, But many times, if you're like me, you might just shove this question away a little bit because it is kind of a weighty one. But here's the answer that the psalmist gives speaking through the Holy Spirit. Again in verse nine, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And so scripture tells us that the way to please him, the way to stay pure, is by guarding all of our life with the Bible. And see, the Bible is the means that God uses to show us who he is and what he's like. But as, but as I study this passage, I don't think the psalmist is just saying that we please God by, you know, doing the right things. Because all of us can kind of do a right thing now and again, but I don't think any of us by ourselves can actually please God and run away from sin in our hearts. But the psalmist's desire is that his heart would actually love God. Look at verse 10. He says, "With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments." Keeping God's commandments, according to this, looks like doing them with our whole heart. You see, my least favorite household chore is uh, folding the laundry. Anyone dislike folding the laundry? That's like the worst thing in the world to me. I don't know why, but I dislike it. And so sometimes when the laundry is sitting out, you know, it's ready to be folded, I'm tempted to start folding it so that my wife will notice and I'll look like a good husband and I'll feel good. You know, I'm just being honest. And while that might be to some extent an act of kindness, it doesn't compare to me actually just telling my wife to sit. Let me take care of that. Relax. Relax out of a heart of love for her. And that's the kind of heart service that God's word calls us to. Sometimes when I remember that, it causes my legalistic heart to panic, and I truly cry out to God, and I think, God, will I ever please you? But we're not alone in this struggle. Christians throughout time have struggled with this question. Martin Luther, who we call the father of the Protestant Reformation, which began in 1517, "...struggled for years with the sinful nature of his heart. And when he was young, after being saved from a dangerous storm, he pledged to become a monk for the rest of his life. But he entered that monastery trying to work his way to be as perfect as possible. And he viewed it as the best earthly way to prove to God that he deserved salvation. A man would spend hours every day confessing his sins to a priest... And there are stories written about Martin Luther that say he'd finish confessing his sins and then he'd be walking back to his room and he'd turn around because he remembered another sin and he was afraid that he was going to die in a state of unforgiveness. He, he believed that he had to work for his salvation. You see, nonetheless, Martin Luther had a spectacular love for God's word. He loved God's word more than anything, but it took him A while to realize that God's word isn't just a manual of commandments to follow. God's word is the way that Jesus is revealed to us. And Jesus is the way that we receive grace from God. Look at verse 11. The psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A heart that stores up God's word, that knows it, that cherishes it, is a heart that runs away from sin. And cherishing God's word will produce the character of God because in God's word, Christ is revealed. And so storing God's word in our heart is accomplished by knowing Jesus. And studying God's word without a relationship with Jesus might produce some good behavior, but it will just be legalistic behavior. We don't store up God's word by ourselves. We store up God's word by having a relationship with Jesus. Turn with me briefly to Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, I want to read us a section from Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord but this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord i will put my law within them and i will write it on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people jeremiah in this book of prophecy tells of a day where god will make a new covenant with man not like the one that he made with moses with the law but a covenant in which god's very law god's very will is written on our hearts and a covenant essentially is a promise that God makes that he will keep. It's a promise that God makes that he will keep. And the Mosaic covenant, which is found in the Old Testament, was gracious to the people because they finally had a written copy of God's will. And the law showed us, um, showed us that we couldn't please God by ourselves. And so Jeremiah here tells us of a better covenant, the new covenant, which is inaugurated by Christ himself. And in this new covenant, no longer would we rely only on tablets, but God's spirit would put God's law in our hearts, and Jesus would come to earth as a human and reveal himself to us, and he is the word. Look at John 1:14. It's gonna come up on the screen. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the living word, and he's the fullest revelation of God, and he shows us exactly what God's desire is, and he came to earth so that we might realize the love that God has for his children. And when we realize this, how much easier is it to say this with the psalmist in verses 12 through 14? He says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. The best way to apply God's word in your life is to love God's word with all of your heart. And as impossible as that seems, God has promised that if you believe in Jesus, he will put his law on your heart because Jesus is the living word. And to love Jesus Jesus is to cherish his Bible. And to love the Bible is to cherish Jesus. And so he's alive and he's given himself as a gift to you. And so we don't need to fear whether or not um, we can please God or whether or not we are going to apply every verse of Scripture correctly. Because that fear is valid to a degree. By ourselves, we can't please God. And we can't apply every verse of Scripture correctly. But I want to calm that fear. Because if you believe in Jesus, God doesn't see your failures. He sees Jesus' perfection. But nonetheless, we are called to a diligent study of God's word so that we can apply it in our lives. Look at verse 15 of Psalm 119. It says, I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. And so understanding the Bible takes a lot of effort, but it's worth it. And the Holy Spirit, if you believe in Jesus, opens eyes and he illuminates God's word. And, and But friends, if you want to apply God's word, I urge you to love it, to desire it, to crave it. Don't treat it just as a manual or an instruction booklet because that's not what it is. The Bible shows us Jesus. And the eternal God has blessed us so richly where all of us literally have access to God's word in our pockets, don't we? So allow Jesus to transform your heart with scripture. Drink it up because the best application you will find for God's word is to hear his grace and to hear his forgiveness and to allow it to transform your life. And so I want to continue our discussion because there are some details I believe that we need to know about applying and understanding God's Word so that when you turn to a passage like Revelation 22, you don't come up with an application that says, Thou shalt not write in the margins of the Bible. Um, So first, I want to correct four misconceptions about applying Scripture. And then I'm going to give us four quick tips on how to apply Scripture. And I believe that these will give us a good starting point to help us both love and apply all of God's word. And so the first misconception I want to address is this. I don't need anyone's help. I don't need anyone's help. Hopefully, if you've been tuning into this series, you've seen that, you've seen that understanding the Bible requires effort, and we've been given countless tools in the modern age to help us understand God's word. And we've, um, but when it comes to application, it gets a little sticky sometimes because, quite frankly, I don't think like anyone telling me what to do. And sometimes we might say or think something like, well, I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need your input. (laughs) But think about what Jesus says in John 17. In that passage, Jesus prays that believers would be one with each other, just just like Jesus is one with the Father. Because believers are each other's true family. And so we should love each other with radical hospitality, And we should open our doors and our dinner tables to each other often and freely. And even more, we should remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ have the same Holy Spirit that we do. And so God will use other believers to help you apply God's word. So don't try to do it alone. Because good theology is nourished by good fellowship. And so find find others with whom you can study God's word. And share your life with other believers. That way we can see each other's good deeds and we can encourage one another. Because Christians can easily tell each other how to generally apply a specific passage of Scripture in their lives. But if we see each other's failures and successes, we can really speak in to each other's lives. And so that's misconception number one. I don't need anyone's help. Misconception number two is this. Scripture is too hard to even understand. I can't apply it. Scripture is too hard to even understand. I can't apply it. So let me first say that I understand this feeling. I mean, imagine, you know, you open the Bible and you come to Ezekiel and there is this crazy imagery and even after studying it a few times and reading a commentary, I I still can't fully understand it. I might scratch my head and I think, well, how can I apply it then? So let me give you some Reassurance. We believe in the doctrine of perspicuity. The doctrine of perspicuity. And that's a really big word, and it, and it, but it means something really simple. It means that scripture is clear about all things necessary for salvation. Scripture is clear about all things necessary for salvation. And so yes, while I may go to the grave not understanding the exact way that one imagery, that one image is used, God is not hiding the way to eternal life from me. He's told us plainly and clearly how to know Him. And so, no matter what you do, your Heavenly Father is not going going to abandon you. He's not going to shun you. And there is no sin great enough that can separate you from Him. Sometimes you're going to read a passage of Scripture and you'll scratch your head. Don't give up. God isn't going to stop loving you if you don't get it all right. And if you don't apply scripture perfectly because none of us can but god's word is clear and you can apply it and he wants you to work to apply it and he's going to help you and so a good principle of interpretation that i think um, kind of informs our application is this let the easier passages inform the harder passages let the easier passages inform the harder passages When you don't understand a passage of Scripture, go back to the truths that you know are true. We know that God gives us grace in Jesus. And so we know that truth. And so we can walk into the text with certain truths that we know are real. And so use what God's Word clearly teaches to help bring light on the parts that seem a little confusing to apply. And so understanding and applying Scripture does take real effort, but that doesn't mean that it's hopeless. Because God gives us grace in our weaknesses and in our lack of understanding. And so that's misconception number two. Scripture is too hard to understand, so I can't apply it. Misconception number three is this. The Old Testament doesn't apply to my life. The Old Testament doesn't apply to my life. Many of us that have been convinced that because Jesus first shows up as a baby in the New Testament, that it's more important to study the New Testament than to study the Old Testament. And therefore, the Old Testament isn't applicable because we have Jesus. But I don't believe that's true. We must read the Old Testament with Christ as our focus. This means that we know that Christ is revealed in every single page and dot of the Old Testament. And Jesus, just like God the Father, is the eternal God. He has always been God. He's the God of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we get story after story of seeing how God relates to his people. Stories that we can look at, evaluate, and apply to our lives. We can trace the story of the Old Testament and see the countless ways that God was preparing the world to send, for, for him to send Jesus. You see, he promised Adam that he would send someone to defeat the serpent. He promised Abraham that one of his descendants would bless the whole world. He promised the people of Israel in Moses' time that a better prophet would come. He promised David that he would have a son who would always sit on the throne. And so reading the Old Testament makes clear how Jesus is the long-anticipated climax of the story. And so the Old Testament is not a lesser part of the Bible. The Old Testament is God's word just as much as the New Testament. And the Old Testament was always intended to teach us and point us to Jesus— and so it may be harder to apply at times because there is some more distance between us and them, uh, between us and the Old Testament times because the Old Testament functioned as a shadow. And the New Testament shines light on that shadow and reveals what it truly is. The newer revelation helps us understand how God intended for us to use the older revelation. And so the Old Testament is applicable to our lives today. And so that's misconception number three. The Old Testament doesn't apply to my life. Misconception number four is this. I must have a concrete application every time I read scripture. I must have a concrete application every time I read scripture. Have you ever walked away from the Bible and felt discouraged because you just weren't sure how to apply that passage? You want to apply God's word, but what you just read, you kind of go... I- I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with that. I want to reassure you that every time you sit down with your Bible, God's not asking you to come away with some big aha moment. He's asking you and he's calling you to love him deeper and to glorify him. And we are about to turn to some tips for how to gain concrete applications of scripture, but I want to reassure you that you don't need to walk away each time with some grand eureka But you should strive to always walk away from reading Scripture with a deeper love of God. And so sometimes when we read the Bible, God may even just give us simple reminders like, be gentle today. There have been times when I've walked away from the message, a little puzzled on how to apply it. And then a few days later, God brings it to my mind in a situation I wasn't anticipating at all. And so trust that God is working when you're reading Scripture And trust that you don't need all of the answers because there's no amount of application or good works that can make god love you and there's no lack of good works that can take away god's love for you and so if you are his child he loves you because he's your father and so of course as a child who wants to please his father every time you open god's word ask yourself how god may be asking you to apply that passage But don't think that you need that grand eureka every single time. God works in our hearts little by little, and He's not going to abandon you. And so that's misconception number four. I must have a concrete application every time I read scripture. And so we've learned that to properly apply God's word, we we must love God's word with all of our hearts. And then we looked at these four misconceptions and we learned that we need each other to help us to apply scripture that God's word is clear about salvation so that we can apply it. The Old Testament is applicable in our lives today. And finally, God wants our hearts to be transformed each day. And so now I want to turn to four tips of how to apply scripture, four tips of how to apply scripture. And here's tip number one. Take note of direct commands. Take note of direct commands. And so in the New Testament especially, Jesus and the apostles give believers direct commands that are applicable throughout time. And we're looking for direct commands that help us determine the original application that the author intended and the the commands that are still applicable to us today. And so when you're going through a passage and looking for concrete applications, something that you might do is try to go through each verse and circle or write down any words that seem to indicate a command from God. And then look at the greater context of the passage and try to figure out, is this command just to the audience of that time, or is this an applicable command for throughout time? And you want to take this time to observe the text and figure out God's original intention with that passage. And I want us to take note of this tip, because if you're like me, it's often easy to avoid the clear and direct statements from God. For example, when I'm reading the book of James and I stumble across a passage where The apostle says, confess your sins to one another. I don't like that one all the time. And my sinfulness can find a way to avoid that command. But it's direct. And so he really really wants us to dive in and to explore his original intention here. And so um, I I would urge you to take note of direct commands and step into them and take the time to write them down. And so that's tip number one, take note of direct commands. Tip number two, ask, am I in the same or similar situation as what this passage is talking about? Am I in the same or similar situation as what this passage is talking about? See, this is a very important question. And if you're taking notes, this really is crucial for how to apply scripture. Like we've already been saying when looking at direct commands, we must first determine what the original application for the original audience was. And then there is some work to determine how similar the situations that we might be in are to their situations and so first we must use our skills of interpretation and so um, a suggestion that i might give you is to take out a pen and a piece of paper and divide the piece of paper in half and on one side um, you could write ways that the people or the context is unique to that specific situation in the text so you write that on one side And then on the other side, you can write ways that there are similarities between your life or your situations, between you and the people um, of the text. And so let me tell you a kind of a quick story to um, kind of illustrate that. A few weeks ago, my wife Tori and I were driving home from church down Apple Grove, and we were sitting at a red light. And I was about to take my foot off the gas, and then all of a sudden, the car turned off. Oh I threw it into park real quick. I turned it back on, made some really loud and angry noises at me. So I was like, that wasn't a good move. And long story short, we ended up in the golf course parking lot. We pushed it in there. And my, my car was gone for a week, taken by a tow truck. And so now I have literally zero mechanical skills. And so I would need advice for a situation like this. Like, What do I do? And many of us have probably had this happen to us whenever we have an issue with our car. We're talking to someone and they say something like this oh one time my car did xyz thing you should ask your mechanic about that now if someone would have said to me one time i had that exact same thing happen there was a particular issue with this piece of the throttle body i don't know what i'm talking about uh, <laughs> you should you should ask your mechanic about that and so i might take that person's advice because they said the exact same thing happened to them. But if someone said to me, you know, I had a lot of problems with my car, too. I was having issues with it overheating, and they told me what happened um, with their car and how they went to solve that issue. Now, I could still gain some good insight from them. Here's the mechanic that I went to, or here's how I learned to better take care of my car. And so I could learn something from them. And so you see the point. The more similar a situation is, the more exact the applications can be. And so an important tip for gaining application from our Bible is considering how similar our situations may be. So that's tip number two. Uh, Tip number three is this. Find the principle of the passage. Find the principle of the passage. After you've discerned the similarities and differences between your life situation and the situation surrounding the section of scripture that you're reading, the next step is to find the principle of the passage. And that means you're looking for a timeless theological truth communicated by this text that can be applied in any culture throughout time. And so it can be a little difficult to determine what makes something timeless and not timeless. But if it's not timeless, then it doesn't cross the boundaries of time and culture. So let's continue with the car illustration. I could use that story to give someone advice about what to do when they have car issues. Mine took a week to figure out, and so I could say something like, um, you want to find a hardworking and honest mechanic. I think that's good advice. Many of us have heard that advice, and we've given that advice, but it's not timeless advice. It requires a culture that has cars, it requires um, that you own a car, and all these other little details. Something, uh, a truth that's timeless that we could take from that situation is find honest people to work with. Find honest people to work with. And so it's taking it out of that context and turning it into a timeless principle. And so with reading scripture, we want to pull out this timeless theological principle, and we want to compare that principle with truths that we've learned from the rest of the Bible. Because if we're claiming that something is a is a theological truth from Scripture, we want to be sure that it doesn't contradict what we've already learned in Scripture. And so that's where being a student of Scripture is a lifelong process. And the Spirit will continue to work in you to fine-tune these principles and these truths so that you can become more and more like Christ. And so that's tip number three. Find the principle of the passage. Next is tip number four: reflect on real-life situations reflect on real-life situations. And this is where we finally get to put our applications into practice. Finding an application in the Bible is a good thing, but if we don't actually apply it, then what use is it? This requires a little bit of effort. And so you take your timeless theological principle and you remind yourself how it worked in the original context of scripture. And you look at your list, comparing the similarities and differences between your life situation and theirs, And consider what living out that principle might look like in your life. And so let's consider our passage from Psalm 119. First, we look for direct commands and we see how they were intended for the original audience. But if you look at the passage, there doesn't seem in this part that we've read to be any really direct commands. And so the psalmist, but the psalmist does ask God to help him be obedient. And so we can um, gain some implicit commands that we could take note of. For example... um, Verse 9 again, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And so the psalmist implies that God could be commanding us to guard our ways according to his word, according to scripture. And so then we ask, what are the similarities and differences between my life situation and this life situation at the time of the text? Well, the writer would have been a Jew, and I'm not Jewish, and they wouldn't have had the New Testament scriptures like we do. But we both do have God's written word, and we can both pray to God, just like the psalmist is doing here, and we both are asking the question of how can we please God? And so, what's the principle? The timeless theological truth of the passage? There could be a few, and one that I might suggest is this knowing God's word protects us from sin. Knowing God's word protects us from sin. And so then you ask, is it timeless? seems so. God has revealed himself to people throughout time and sin has been in the world since the beginning and tempting us. And so that seems timeless. And does it hold up to the rest of scripture? I think so. I, I think of passages like 2 Timothy 3.16 where we learn that God's word is good for correction, it's good for teaching, and other passages that concur with this theological truth. And so I think that this principle holds up. And so now, how can I actually apply this in my life? And this is going to vary from person to person. There's no one exact application that we can give everyone. For me, this might serve as a reminder to sit down and memorize God's word so that when I encounter situations where I may be tempted to sin, scripture can be brought to my mind to help me deal with that temptation. Or maybe... Um, I encounter a moment where my anxiety pops up and I've memorized something like Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, which teaches us that blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and it helps to calm my anxious heart. And so allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate a love for God's word in your heart. Because if you love God's word, you will want to apply it. And so let God's loving word convict you in your marriage in your workplace, in your attitudes towards others, the way you think and talk about others. And if you love God's word, you will apply God's word, and God's word will produce love and grace in your life. You see, Martin Luther, the father of the, Refor- uh, the, father of the Reformation, was paralyzed with fear because of his sin. He loved God's word, but for a while, he failed to see the love and grace that it held. How could he possibly obey and properly apply all of God's word? And then one day, while he was studying um, in the tower at Wittenberg, he had what historians call his breakthrough, or his tower experience. And he was reading Romans 1, 17, and the Spirit revealed to him that we do not receive righteousness or forgiveness by what we do, but we receive Christ's righteousness. God revealed love and grace in the Bible— And so Martin Luther properly applied this scripture by believing in the profound grace of God. And then God used Martin Luther and used his love of scripture to change the world. And now Martin Luther didn't get it perfectly. And years later, I still don't perfectly understand everything in Revelation 22. But through Jesus, we can receive God's grace. And God will put his word in our hearts So that we may love it and that we may apply it in our lives. And so, your first application of Scripture ought to be this knowing and believing in Jesus, because He offers you salvation and He offers you forgiveness. And each day following, the first application of your your Scripture studies each morning ought to be remembering Jesus, to be worshiping our God. And enjoying and treasuring his grace. And so, may we love scripture. May we apply it rightly. And may we glorify the Christ who is revealed in these scriptures. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you've given us your word and that we need not fear, Lord, Lord, Because you are good. You are in control. Lord, would you help us as we go out and we try to apply your word? We love your word. Would you create a deeper love of your word in our hearts? Lord, would you help us in our workplaces, in our day to day life? Lord, would you help us to apply scripture? And most of all, Lord, would you help us to love and cherish you? Would you help us to know the truth of your gospel? and to know that you are good, Lord. Would you use us, the North Canton Chapel, to transform the world with your gospel, Lord? Send us out with your holy word. We love you. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media.